And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's Monday as we get ready to wrap up the month of July. Yep, it's already over. Seventh month in the books. (laughs) And of course, we're getting into really the heart of earnings season starting this week. Tons of data out this week. We've got, of course, just a a lot of earnings data coming out. First of all, Apple, among others, will be reporting their earnings this week. So it's going to be a very busy week earnings wise. And that's obviously going to have some impact on markets. Now, one thing is, is that expectations had been coming down for earnings prior to the actual earnings season. Um, very late kind of getting started on the downgrades, but analysts did start downgrading about a week or so of before earnings season started. So, so far, companies coming in, meeting earnings, but maybe guidance has, hasn't been that great or have been really kind of missing earnings well and guidance is that great, but importantly, stocks aren't getting completely lambasted as we saw in the first quarter of this year. Now, you remember, Back earlier this year when Netflix reported the stock was down 20, 25% after reporting and missing earnings and having a, a, a subscriber reduction. Netflix loses another million subscribers in the second quarter. Stock actually rises on that report because people were expecting 2 million. So again, that's the way this earnings season is kind of playing out that the less bad earnings announcements are getting rewarded. And we talked about this. If you're starting to look for companies where you may want to start putting some money to work, start looking at some of these companies that have been beaten up and now they're reporting earnings, but the stock is still holding in fairly well. We're seeing that really in in a lot of areas kind of across the board. So this week, more earnings coming out. Expectations have come down quite a bit. That's allowing these companies to meet or beat earnings. And that's and, and what we're seeing importantly to that is that we're not seeing such downside uh, impacts to stocks that are missing earnings. So again, a lot of that kind of got washed out in the first quarter. Now, second quarter is kind of starting to stabilize here a bit. Some other good news, of course, also is that we have had a lot of intraday swings. So even though this market has been rallying here over the last week or so, and we talked about in this weekend's newsletter, by the way, if you haven't subscribed to our weekly newsletter, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Just click on the newsletter link, get subscribed, free email every weekend. But we went through uh, this weekend talking about this rally over the last couple of weeks. And importantly, two things here. One, what the market's doing relative to the last time we had this type of inflation. And what we go back and find is, is that in the 60s and 70s, we see some very similar actions. So we did cover that in the newsletter this weekend. But during this advance, we've also had a lot of intraday swings of greater than 1%. Now, that kind of volatility is more indicative of a market bottoming process. And again, we've kind of talked about this over the last few days, and and we did uh, discuss this um, in this weekend's newsletter as well, talking about 
this issue of this kind of bottoming process that we're seeing in the markets right now, kind of this rising trend channel. We're getting higher bottoms. That's good news. We've been on a nice MACD buy signal that's helping give some lift to stocks. And we talked about the fact that the markets did break above this previous downtrend and above the 50-day moving average. So again, overhead resistance has gotten taken out. We're seeing some more bullish action within markets. Now, stocks are overbought here in the short term. And what we said last week was that it would be important for markets to pull back and retest the 50-day moving average and not violate that. Well, on Friday, we pulled back and tested the 50-day moving average, didn't violate it. So this week is going to be very important that we continue this rally. Now, futures are pointing up this morning. NASDAQ's up about 55 points. The uh, S&P's up about 20. Dow's up about 130 or so. So we're going to see some early morning lift in the markets helping reconfirm that break above that 50-day moving average. Now trying to turn that back into support rather than previous resistance. So that's actually some further good news for the markets. And again, as we talked about here, again, this rally has some potential here to, to rally back to around 4180 on the S&P. So again, there is some upside here to stocks as we potentially go in to this earnings season. Um, furthermore, also the buyback blackout window, right? This is, you know, we have a record number of corporate buyback announcements this year. And so uh, those buybacks have been blacked out for the last couple of weeks pre, pre, um, prior to earnings announcements. That actually ends this week. So we could see as much as $11 billion worth of buybacks occurring every single day in the markets here for the next month. That's going to provide some additional support for asset prices. Now, it doesn't mean markets have to go up. We had buyback, buybacks going on during the last quarter and markets went down. So it's not a guarantee that stock prices will rise because of buybacks. We've got to spit that out. <laughs> but with that blackout period now over, that does allow these companies to come in and start buying back shares. That should provide some additional support to asset prices here. And as long as kind of this bullish sentiment remains, that suggests that we could see some higher prices. Now, on the other front, of course, consumers uh, also getting a bit of a reprieve here as well. Gas prices falling about 55 cents a gallon around the, around the country. So lower prices at the pump. That's giving consumers a bit of relief there. Of course, that can help support some consumer spending. They shift that, you know, those extra dollars they're saving at the pump, not spending on the gasoline they can spend on food, <laughs> which is also uh, very high. But we're starting to see some relief in some of those inflationary pressures. And we talked about recently that we had likely seen kind of the peak of this inflationary spike in the economy, and, and, but it was gonna take some time to kind of filter through. Gas prices, oil prices run about a three month lag. These are three month average of gas prices in the CPI calculation. So again, it's gonna take some time for that three month average to kind of start to come down. Uh, in the CPI calculation. House prices already also run about a three-month lag. So a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of, of uh, sellers reducing prices and home prices coming down, that'll get reflected you know, in the next month or so. We'll start to see that impact uh, coming up in inflation as well. But we are starting to see that kind of peak inflationary pressure starting to pull back here. And, and again, that's going to help provide a little bit of additional support uh, for the economy. Now, this week, on Thursday, we've got the GDP report. Now, this will be the first estimate for the second quarter GDP report. Now, 
the way we calculate these GDP reports, the first estimate is just a sampling of all the other blue chip economists around the country. So they just act, kind of ask all the economists, you know, what's your estimate? They take that data and basically come up with their first estimate. So the first estimate is just an estimate of the guesses uh, that are out there. So again, we're likely going to see a bit of an upside, you know, a positive growth rate to the economy for the second quarter. Now, I know the, land, the Atlanta Fed, that's the real-time GDP tracker from the Atlanta Federal Reserve. That's showing negative, but a lot of the blue-chip economists have a, a above-zero growth rate for GDP. So we could see a first estimate of GDP being slightly above zero. We'll see. Um, the Atlanta Fed currently has GDP tracking at about a negative 1.5% for the second quarter. But again, a lot of blue chip economists still expecting slower growth, but positive growth for the second quarter. So we'll see what this comes out as, of course, after the first estimate in um, August, we'll get the second estimate. September, we'll get the third estimate. And that starts to track closer to what the real data is saying. So what will happen between Thursday and September is that we'll start to migrate towards that Atlanta Fed real-time tracker. So it'll, it'll start to come down to that. Uh, over the next couple of months. Okay, when we come back from the break, a lot of stuff to get into this morning, so stick around. More of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, uh, as I said, it is uh, Monday as we get ready to wrap up the the. First month of the second quarter getting July kind of underway. Now, you know, the interesting thing here is that uh, two things going on. As I said, we're kind of coming into the, the belly of the beast, so to speak, in terms of earnings season. So this week's going to get very busy in terms of earnings. Um, we've got, uh, you know, quite a few companies coming out today. Ryanair, NXP Semiconductor, um, Newmont Corporation. We're going to see all those companies reporting earnings today. Um, but the rest of this week, a lot of activity going on in earnings. And then next week, it gets even busier. So over the next two weeks, we're going to have a very large bulk of the S&P 500 actually earn, uh, announcing earnings. So uh, get, get ready. It's going to be a lot of busy data coming out. However, you know, the, the point about this is twofold. One, you know, estimates have come down and you know we talked about going into the second quarter earnings season in the month of June analysts were still ratcheting ratcheting up earnings saying that earnings were going to be stronger and then all of a sudden they all kind of woke up to the data 
And because we were asking the question, we're saying, you know, what are these people smoking, right? Because economic data is slowing down. We're seeing a lot of this, you know, this kind of economic deterioration. And as we see this kind of economic deterioration, you know, that's going to impact earnings growth because earnings come from the economy and the activity, right? I mean, it's, you know, Apple doesn't make any money if you don't go out and buy an Apple phone or subscribe to an Apple service, right? Microsoft doesn't make any money if you don't go buy an Xbox or buy an Xbox game or buy a computer or a PC, whatever, right? They don't make any money. So you've got to be spending money for these companies to make earnings. So earnings can't remain detached from economic activity forever. Um, they can do it temporarily because we get a little bit of excited about things. But you know, reality is, is that ultimately those are going to align with each other. So slower economic growth is going to show up in earnings. Well, that message we've been talking about for the last couple of months, and all of a sudden analysts kind of woke up uh, the first week of July and went, um, yeah, we need to lower earnings estimates. And literally in the first week of July, very sharp downgrades in earnings estimates and negative revisions. And, and so now, and as we said, the thing to really be watching on, and if you're looking for companies to buy, right, is, is look for companies that miss earnings and their stock either stays flat or goes up. And now I'm not saying go out and buy Netflix, but Netflix is a good example of this. They reported a million, another million subscriber loss to Netflix and earnings and revenues missed and stocks actually rose because estimates were worse than what they announced, right? So, they were expected to lose another 2 million subscribers. They only lost a million. Woo, that's good. Let's buy the stock, right? Uh, well, what that's suggesting is, is that a lot of the bad news had already been priced into the stock. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not recommending you buy Netflix um, at all here, but I think they've got some other problems going on. But, you know, that's kind of the, that's the, the measure you're looking for, right? So Amazon's going to report earnings. You know, that's been beaten up a lot. Remember, in the first quarter, they announced earnings and missed estimates. The stock was down like 25% over the course of a day or two. And that is another type of company that's had a big contraction in price. A lot of that overvaluation has been pulled out of the company. And so if they report earnings that are weak, but the stock remains stable or even goes up a bit, may have started to see a bottom in some of these companies. So again, there's a big difference here also between a bottom in stock prices and a bottom in the market. Stocks can bottom, some stocks, a few stocks, a handful of stocks can bottom long before the market does. So, you know, these are this is where stock picking is going to come out to be a little bit more advantageous than being a passive indexer at this point, but Again, you know, the markets are going to start to bottom before the economic data does. And, you know, as we kind of look forward here over the next few months, you know, how much weaker is economic data going to get? You know, we're starting, you know, we're seeing a contraction in manufacturing data. We're seeing a contraction in services data really kind of across the board. And that's getting weaker. It's not getting it's not getting better. Right. Wages haven't been keeping up with inflation. Inflation is still high, even though we're starting to see maybe some softening in some of that data. So again, that's, you know, you know, have we seen the peak in inflation? That's going to be the big question. Also this week, this, the, other than the fact that we'll get the first estimate of GDP this week, the Federal Reserve will also be meeting on uh, announcing 
their next move on Wednesday, which will be a 75 basis point increase in the overnight lending rate. Now, this isn't really a surprise. This has been very well telegraphed. So the announcement itself is likely not to have much of an impact on markets because markets have already kind of priced this in. Markets are currently estimating a 75 basis point increase. The Fed's been pretty adamant that they're going to continue to fight inflation, at least for the time being, which augurs for a 75 basis point increase. What could spook the markets would be a surprise hike of 1% or more aggressive language from the Fed, such as we're hiking 75 basis points, but we're probably going to hike another 75 basis point in September. We're still seeing inflation too high. It's not coming down fast enough. You know, we've got to be more aggressive. We're maintaining a more aggressive stance. You know, any type of much more aggressive attitude by the Fed could weigh on stock sentiment. Part of you know, part of this rally that we've seen here over the last couple of weeks, in particular in, in the stock market, has been on kind of this idea that the Fed is likely closer to pivoting versus not. And what what would what would entail a pivot here, right? So a pivot would simply be the Fed starting to back off some of the more aggressive language, such as, hey, we, you know, we've been hiking rates and we think we're, you know, we're going to kind of sit back here and wait for a meeting or two, see what inflation does. You know, we don't want to, to overly tighten policy. So part of this may be, you know, part of this kind of rally has been this hope that we might just see a bit of a pivot by the Federal Reserve. And, and, you know, there's certainly a case to be made that they won't anytime soon. And, and the reason is, is because inflation is still running very high. And that is their kind of primary mandate at this point that as this kind of, you know, this surging kind of more persistent inflationary pressure is weighing on the economy and the markets, they can't pivot off of that. They've got to stay with their fight of inflation over bailing out financial markets. And, and right now, there's no stress coming out of financial markets. Credit spreads, have, you know, especially high-yield credit spreads, have been coming down here lately. Markets you know, rallying, and you know, we're down about 17% from the peak. So you know, markets are certainly down this year, but not anywhere near what we saw back in March of 2020, where you had a 35% drop over three weeks. You know, this has been a very orderly decline. There's not been a big pickup in volatility. There's not, and again, you know, uh, high-yield credit spreads, which are one of the better indicators for, for market instability, um, are coming down. And it's actually bullish for stocks, by the way. So there's really no pressure from the financial markets or even the credit markets for the Federal Reserve to kind of back off of their inflation fight right now because the markets are saying, hey, it's okay. You well, you know, you may think the markets are saying something differently, but what the markets are telling the Fed is it's okay, fight inflation, we're fine. For now. Investors are hanging in there for the moment. And again, this can, this can change and unfortunately markets have a tendency to change very rapidly. But again, this is why there's not a big need right now to be overly defensive. And this is where investors start to make mistakes. They, they start making 
moves to become excessively defensive in a market that is not requiring that just yet. And again, I'm not I'm not dismissing the fact that markets are down 17% for the year, right? That's certainly not fun. But they're not down 40%. They're not down 35%. We're sitting on, you know, support. We're holding support. Markets look like they're trying to bottom here a bit, at least temporarily. We're not getting a strong reflexive rally, but we are getting a rally. And again, the one thing that does concern me, and we'll talk about this after the break, I want to talk a little bit more about this, is that we are getting a rally, but it's not the type of rally that would suggest that the bulls are returning in force. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, like I said, after the break. But this is kind of kind of all coming together here where, you know, pay attention to what's going on because, again, we've got a lot of stuff happening right now between earnings. We've got GDP report on Thursday. We've got the FOMC on Wednesday. So it's a very, very busy week. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to move markets one way or the other. And again, commitment to the market still remains fairly weak. We're not seeing huge picks up in volume. Um, we are seeing better breadth on the rally. So that's that's kind of a good news, but we're not seeing a big pickup in volume. And, you know, kind of more importantly is, is that we're not, you know, we're, we're seeing a reversion in the bearish sentiment. So we are starting to see bearish sentiment reduce here a bit. That's, that's also a good sign because that means that people are starting to say, hey, maybe I need to get back in the markets. Let's increase some allocations. So we're starting to see some of that more negative sentiment coming out of the market. That's positive. But again, as we'll talk about after the break, we're not really seeing that commitment to the rally. And so is this really the beginning of a market bottom or is this just another fleeting reflexive rally? We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com inflation touches every aspect of your life no one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation ria advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn thursday august 4th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com there's no magic elixir against inflation our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects register today at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning at 6.33 on this Monday. And so just for the break, talking a little bit about, you know, this rally that we're having in the market. So over the last, you know, two, three weeks here, the market's kind of been bottoming and, and putting in kind of a, a double retest of lows, then it established a higher low. 
And, you know, so we're starting to see some kind of positive trends to the markets overall, which is encouraging because this is the type of action that potentially you want to see here, um, at least in the short term, as you know, we talk about markets and, and things like that. And, and again, this kind of you know, uh, action tends to be one where you start to see some movements that are encouraging. But again, I, I want to be I want you to be a little bit cautious here because we're not completely out of the woods just yet. And um, I've got a chart up on my screen over here that we'll share with you, which is this is just the uh, S&P 500 index is all it is. And, and what you see here is a couple of things. One, you see this downtrend line from the March peak. And as that downtrend line from the March peak kind of intersected its tops, it was also kind of running right along the 50-day moving average. So that was a really tough level of resistance for the markets. Every time we ran up to that, we failed. And then we kind of went to the bottom of this downtrend, which actually goes back to you know uh, January of this year, really December. And you connect all those lows that the market was putting in. We just kept making you know, new lows along the way. Every time we'd rally, we'd come down, set a new low, have a bit of a rally, come down, set a new low. And so each one of those lows was retesting the bottom of that downtrend channel. So we had this very kind of defined downtrend in the markets. Now, for the first time, we're actually starting to see a, a pickup here that's very different. We haven't seen this except if we go back to look at the chart in kind of February-ish, um, we kind of saw this double bottom for the markets where the market, this was you know, right around the end of February. This was where Russia invaded Ukraine. We had that very sharp intraday sell-off and then the market rallied back that day. And then we kind of came down and retested, formed kind of a double bottom. And then the market took off on a very sharp rally in March. And we had this 10% recovery rally, very strong. And that kind of got people, you know, excited that maybe, you know, the, the correction was over. We weren't really talking about a bear market yet. We were just talking about a kind of a correction. And then, the, unfortunately, the, the kind of resumption of the decline occurred after that is just so many things were weighing on the economy. Now, here just recently, we've got some, you know, more positive action, right? The markets kind of rallied. We formed a higher bottom. Uh, retested that higher low, held that higher low, then broke out above this downtrend, broke out above the 50-day moving average. So we're starting to see that kind of bullish action that you would want to see in a market. But there's a bit of a difference here between what's uh, currently occurring and what we saw previously. And if you take a look, and we've talked about this before, you know, indicators like the moving average, convergence, divergence, uh, indicator, which is a, a kind of a good indicator for uh, talking about where markets are giving buy signals or not. We're starting to see that kind of action. Um, you know, back in March, we had a very sharp rally. The, the MACD crossed positive and the markets rallied very sharply. Now, the, the difference this time is, is that we had a, a, a MACD crossover, a positive turn, a buy signal um, about three, three weeks ago. It was actually kind of mid-June-ish we got this kind of buy signal in the MACD. And while the MACD has now been, has been trending positively here, and again, that's a good sign, right? We're, we're getting this continuation of this, of this kind of this positive trending buy signal. Um, the markets, you know, have, have not had that same type of explosive rally that we saw back in March. So 
you know, one of the, 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 the caveats here, and again, while, you know, while we're talking about kind of bullish action in the markets, one of the caveats is, is that the longer the market kind of, you know, flip-flops around here and makes small advances, it, it's, it eats up a lot of that fuel. And these buy signals that we get in the markets, and think about them like a gas can, right? You know, your gas tank in your, in your engine. Um, because when, you know, we get very oversold, it's like, you know, it's kind of a, the inverse philosophy. We get very oversold in the market. That means the fuel tank is very full in your car, right? So there's a lot of fuel to drive that market rally higher. Well, as the market begins to rally, we use up that fuel. And the longer that it takes to get the market going, the more of that fuel we wind up using. So uh, the markets kind of get back to overbought conditions. We kind of get to our next potential sell signal sooner than uh, we would like to see in a lot of cases. And that's kind of what's going on right now is that we're seeing this rally in the market. It is bullish. We're starting to see some bullish indicators on a lot of different fronts. Again, we're seeing you know positive buy signals. We're seeing more positive trends, but it's very early. So don't don't go run out and throw all your money in the market. This isn't the back up the truck moment. But we are seeing this positive notion. I just want to see. I just want to caution you a bit here and say, just be a little bit leery of it. And this is why we're not committing a lot of capital to this rally just yet is because we are using up a lot of that really good buy signal. Those MACD buy signals are very, very good buy signals historically. And when they kind of come into place, it's generally a good time to put some money to work. The problem is, is that we're not really going anywhere. We're making an advance. We are doing better here in the last week or so because of earnings. That's fantastic. But we're not seeing that, you know, 10, 15 percent advance that you would expect from some such a deeply oversold market. So, uh, again, especially one with such negative sentiment as we've had lately. I mean, we've had historically low bearish sentiment. We've had um, very, very low indicators in terms of bullish percent and number of stocks trading at 52 week lows. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to suggest that this recent bottom in the market is 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 potentially got some staying power but again we haven't really seen the commitment of traders coming back in starting to run this market back up and in fact if we take a look at you know the same chart on kind of a weekly basis we do see some more positive indicators uh, as well you know one is is that we are very close to a a longer term you know buy signal we're still not there yet but that macd signal is getting very close to a positive turn. And the last time it was this low and turned positive was back in March of 2020, March, April. So again, we're kind of getting very close to getting that weekly buy signal in place. Markets are oversold. They're, they're currently, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they were trading about three standard deviations below the 50-week moving average. So now you're talking about a weekly moving average of almost a year. So markets were trading two and three standard deviations below that. And again, we've talked about that before, which is that's just that stretching of the rubber band. We, we sold off so much, we kind of stretch prices to the downside. Now those prices are starting to come back. And again, we're getting close to triggering that weekly kind of buy signal, not there just yet, and doesn't mean we have to. I mean, this market could flop around here for a little bit more, and then we could go lower and not trigger that signal. But that signal is very oversold. And it is at very low levels. In fact, it's at levels that we haven't seen since March of 2020 in the midst of that 35% decline.
So when you start kind of stepping out from the short-term picture and start looking at longer-term pictures, it looks like, and, and you can start to make the case that a lot of that negative sentiment and, and negative environment for stocks has, has already been wrung out. And again, you know, we talk about companies, uh, you know, that have really been under a lot of pressure. And so, you know, you kind of take a look at, you know, a company like Block, as an example, uh, used to be called Square, now it's called Block. You know, here's a company that's, that was trading, you know, near $300 a share, now trading at $60 a share. And so while the market's down 20%, there's a lot of companies that have come down markedly. And here's a company, by the way, that was trading 15 times price to sales. It's now trading at 2.6 times price to sales. Now, you know, typically you want to buy companies that trade at a price to sales below two, but if you've got a very strong growth company, company that's growing their sales, you know, very sharply, you know, you know, you can give it a little bit higher price to sales multiple, maybe. But again, the, the point here is that we've wrung out a lot of that excess overvaluation that we saw in some of these companies. So again, while the market may be only down 17%, there's a lot of individual companies that are down 50, 60, 70% and have wrung out a lot of that excess valuation already. So again, this is where, as investors, we've really got to start doing our homework and potentially looking for companies that have an opportunity to potentially base here, establish a bottom, and maybe the market doesn't go up. Maybe we don't get a big bull market, you know, starting tomorrow, right? Maybe we have a lot more work to do this year because of slower economic growth, et cetera. That doesn't necessarily mean that every company is going to go down further. Some companies may already be establishing bottoms. Some companies may hang in here at current bottoms. I'm not saying that, that you know, Block is one of those. I'm just using that as an example. There's just a lot of companies that actually have sales. They have income. They have revenue. And they have come down so much in price, there's a very good possibility we may start to see some of those areas and some of those companies starting to bottom before even the rest of the markets. And again, I just wanted to be caution you is that, you know, we have more work to do, right? The economic data is not improving yet. We still have more work to go on that front. The Fed is remaining aggressive here, but that doesn't mean that everything is doomed to go lower. I just want you to start thinking about looking at your garden and saying, okay, what plants potentially am I missing that could be opportunities? Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment. Show.
to wrap up the show here this morning. Um, I tweeted out um, on Friday a tweet, and I, I said I'm going to get this actually tattooed on my my arm because it, it was just it was hysterical actually. But Brent, pick three numbers between one and eight, and it can be the same number. So you can pick the same number twice, three times, it doesn't matter. Just three numbers between, between one, one and, and eight. eight. Yeah. Three five seven. Three five seven. Yeah. So this is your excuse generator for getting out of any conversation. So three five and seven. Okay. Is that yeah. what you said? Three five seven. Three five seven. So the choose an intro, which is number three, is look over there. Choose a scapegoat, which is number five, which is Amber Heard. So look over there, Amber Heard, and number seven got assaulted by the mailman. <laughs> That'll get you off a call. That'll get you off a call. So, yeah. you know, if you need to get out of a conversation or, or a call or something, just pick, just, you know, tattoo this particular, you know, yeah, this item on your arm and or just have it handy. It's, it's great. Pick three more numbers. Uh, between one and eight, let's go with four, six, and eight. Sorry to do this, but uh, a mall Santa... <laughs> Just peed on the little girl's lemonade stand. Ah, you can't trust those guys. You can't trust them. That's so. like a play sheet you have on your forearm. You know, the quarterback's got these plays I know, on his that's arm. right. Yeah, yeah. Just, you just it's call you this need. around with you, and, mm -hmm. and you're good to go. You know, <laughs> I wish I could talk, but my Harry Potter cardboard cutout just broke into my house. <laughs> it has lots of uses. Yes, it does. <laughs> Should I try that this morning on the call? <laughs> yes, I you know during your, your yes during the meeting this morning. Yes. Just uh, yes, there you go. Um, all right, look, getting back to work here. Interesting enough, you know, we've talked about the Federal Reserve, and and one of the things that we've said before and have, have talked about before is that you know the Federal Reserve is supposed to be this kind of invisible hand behind the markets. And it's interesting because in the 70s and 80s and, and early 90s, when, you know, markets were functioning and people were investing, nobody, I mean, you, you would, you know, ask your parents, like, who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, right? Nobody knew. And it's interesting now because more people know who the Federal Reserve chairman is than they know who the vice president is. So, uh, you know, if you take a poll and say, who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve? Most people will tell you it's Jerome Powell. You ask who the vice president is. A lot of people say, I don't know. So it's interesting, right? And, and the problem is, is that the Fed is supposed to be kind of working in anonymity to kind of foster their mandates through monetary policy, which is just maintaining full employment, making sure that the economy is kind of functioning. It's got liquidity and, you know, things aren't breaking around the corners. And just trying to keep kind of price stability under control by, you know, kind of adjusting overnight lending rates for banks. And then banks are supposed to turn around and loan money out to, to businesses, et cetera. And that, that, that worked okay, I, I should guess. You know, that worked in the 70s and 80s to some degree. But beginning in 2000, the Fed became much more visible, starting with Alan Greenspan, then, of course, Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, et cetera, and now Jerome Powell. And we've, and of course, you know, what's happened, you know, even under the Trump administration, remember that, you know, when Jerome Powell was talking about, well, the 
you know, rates aren't anywhere near neutral territory. The market declines by 20 percent. And, and President Trump is all over Jerome Powell, you know, basically calling him out on Twitter, saying, you know, he needs to be lowering rates and doing what's needed to support the economy and markets. And, you know, I'm going to fire him and these type of things. And and that's not the first time. I mean, we saw it with Janet Yellen. We saw it with with Ben Bernanke. But the Fed has become much more politicized. And as long as the Fed's doing what the politicians want them to do, they're heroes. And when they're not doing what they want them to do, well, they're villains. And it's interesting now because as we head into the midterm election cycle, you've got the presidential approval ratings down near record lows. You, you know, the concerns by consumers are, are kind of really at, at lows over inflation and a lot of other issues that, you know, potentially threaten the reelection of Democrats, you know, in the midterms. And so because of that, Democrats are blaming Jerome Powell for the inflation and blaming Jerome Powell for, you know, causing this concern in financial markets, et cetera, because look, markets are down. I've got high inflation. My 401k is now a 201k. And, you know, this all kind of goes up the ladder and points to the guy at the office. Now, look, the president has nothing to do with your 401k plan and really doesn't have much to do with the economy, but he's the guy that gets the blame. And so it's interesting now because, again, because this is happening under Jerome Powell's watch. And he's being aggressive about trying to combat inflation, which is making housing more unaffordable. It's driving up loans for used cars, making making it more difficult to buy a used car. Um, you know, all these kind of side effects of monetary policy is now falling at Jerome Powell's feet. And, and so this is why as as we start to see this and we're going to see more of this over the course of the next you know few weeks particularly as we start to head into the midterm elections now that's you know the midterm elections cycle is going right now i mean you're seeing a lot of you know stump speeches etc kind of running around the country but it's going to really ramp up in august and september and october i mean this is where you're going to start you know on the radio you know, on the radio and television you're going to see a lot of political ads you're going to see all the mudslinging everything else is going on and you're going to see a lot of finger pointing. You're going to see a lot of finger pointing at the Federal Reserve saying, well, you know, if the Federal Reserve did this. Well, they didn't really. You know, and it's interesting because Janet, I'm writing an article on this. It'll come out tomorrow. Uh, but Janet Yellen over the weekend said there's no recession coming. Because, you know, economic data is not terrible and, you know, the deficit's coming down. Well, the deficit's coming down only because the money that was spent in 2020, 2021 that caused the economic growth because you gave a bunch of people money, that's all been that's all coming out of the system. You know, that money got spent. So that five trillion dollars that was spent by the federal government's just not being spent now. So the deficit is being reduced only because you didn't renew the five trillion in spending. But that's actually recessionary because 
that government spending was what's creating the economic growth, and now you're not spending that money, so that economic growth is going to reverse, and that is going to weigh on economic activity because that money is no longer there and you're not renewing it. And so we're, you know, so the issue is that a lot of this is going to be put at the feet of the Federal Reserve. Well, they shouldn't have tightened interest rates so much, and they shouldn't have been removing, um, you know, their balance sheet accommodations, right? They shouldn't be doing quantitative tightening. It's all their fault, and it's really not. It's a function of the fact that you flooded the system with a lot of fiscal policy, sending checks to households. And by the way, this was both administrations, right? This is Trump and, Trump and Biden. You sent money directly to households. They went out and did what they're supposed to do is spend it, but you'd shut down the economy so nobody could produce anything. So voila, supply greater than demand, you get inflation. Now everybody ramped up production in order to meet this demand that they thought was organic. Now you've got more supply than you have demand, and guess what's happening? You're starting to see prices fall. And so all of that goodness that you got is now going away in reverse. And just like, uh, you know, we, we often talk about markets, how, you know, markets get two standard deviation overbought or oversold. It's like stretching rubber band and that's got to snap back. Well, you stretch the economy because of all this liquidity. And now it's got to snap back. And we're going to revert back to trends. And, and this is just this is just a function of economics. It's not a bad thing. But again, it's it's interesting because the Federal Reserve is going to take a brunt of the finger pointing by those getting reelected. Because it's not their fault that there's inflation and it's not their fault that your 401k is not a 201k. That's not their fault. That's all the Federal Reserve's fault. They did this, and it's not true. But again, this is just the, you know, the process we go through because what everybody counts on is you not really understanding the dynamics of basic economics and basic market function because we don't teach this stuff in school. And so you buy off on the excuses. Well, it sounds right. And the fact checkers on Facebook said it was true. <laughs> so must be true, right? Must be true. It's not. Just, just be careful about what you read and, you know, be careful about what you, what, what you hear because there's more to this story than what you're being told. And, and again, this is as we go into the elections, you're going to see, you're going to hear a lot more of this. But in tomorrow's report, we'll talk about Janet Yellen's latest no recession call. And the one thing, really two things that you should be worried about and the two things you should be watching, which suggests she could possibly be wrong. That's coming up on tomorrow's uh, website report at the blog. So simply go by realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter that goes out every Saturday. We cover the markets, your money, our portfolio, uh, portfolio changes. It's all there to keep you abreast of what we're doing with our money as, so you can help follow along and do what you need to do with your money. It's absolutely free. It's at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest uh, end-of-the-week market wrap with Adam Taggart's on the website as well. It's all there for you. Lots of stuff to keep you up to date and informed. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. 
to his bad's world.